Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Welcome everyone to City Beautiful Church. Uh, my name is Ryan, I'm uh, the pastor here. Is anybody, this is their first time? Got one right here, right here, two here, over here. All right, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I'm, I'm really, I mean, I say this all the time because I love what I do, but I'm really excited about today. Uh, we're in this series that fits in a larger vision. The big vision for this year uh, is loving community for bold exploration. And we've really, during this year, honed in on that and just really taken our time and allowed the Lord to lead us into deeper revelation of, of what does his love look like for us? How does that transform us? How does that bind us together in loving community? And then how has God equipped us to be the kind of bold exploration that are kind of written into our spiritual DNA. And this series especially is called Equipped, where we're really examining what are the tools that God has given us by his Holy Spirit so that we can go out and be these kinds of explorers. And and last week, uh, I wanted to kind of start this conversation in our community about spiritual discipline. And so what we were really trying to do uh, last week was, was kind of give this large view of spiritual discipline that rescues it from the place that many of us um, have had it allocated to us in the past, where it's about getting it right, it's about following the rules, it's about having to do all these things so you can check off the boxes to make sure that you're a good boy or a good girl. But I hope what I was able to communicate last week is spiritual disciplines are actually something bigger, grander, more beautiful. That when we have this this ecosystem of our spiritual journey and the path that God's calling us to, we begin to recognize how he has equipped us through his Holy Spirit to take upon ourselves spiritual disciplines, to put those disciplines in this larger ecosystem of our passions, of our understanding of who he is, of our journey alongside of our community, and it really helps us to walk deeper into the reality of who he is, who we are, and what we're called to be for this world. And so I wanna kind of go from that very big picture view of spiritual disciplines, and today we're gonna be talking about some of the specifics and the practicalities, and there's going to be a lot of information and there's going to be um, a lot of opportunities for us to practice, but I'm really excited to see what the Lord wants to do here uh, this morning. So if you would just bow your heads and I'm going to pray for you, uh, and if you would pray for me, please, and we will jump right in. Heavenly Father, we testify uh, to the reality, the truth that you're here, uh, that you're with us. Some of us are really tuned into that right now, uh, and some of us probably need a little bit more help. So Lord, send your Holy Spirit to encounter each one of us, mind, body, soul, heart, that you would center us on you today. We have high expectation that you want to speak, that you want to do something within us, that you want to challenge us uh, to, to, to rethink the life that we have in you. Uh, and you want to encourage us that, that you have equipped us, that we are enough uh, to be able to take upon ourselves the challenges that you have for us. And so may the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 
And so one of the things I talked about last week was that God has given us his Holy Spirit so that we might be transformed into little Christs, that the word Christian sometimes has, has been, uh, the, the, the deep meaning of it has been removed because it's become such a con- cultural norm. But when we recognize that Christian literally means to be little Christs, we recognize that God has given us this trajectory. God has given us this goal and this vision that this is what you're going to look like when he's finished what he started on Calvary. And that, I think, even helps us raise our eyes above spiritual disciplines from simply just trying to get it right on the piece of paper in front of us to recognizing that God wants to conspire with us for our transformation. And it's discipline and obedience, then, that are really the definers that separate out the followers of Jesus from the fans of Jesus. I talked about how I think a lot of times in our modern culture, there are a lot of people that really admire Jesus. They're maybe even inspired by things that he said or things that he did. But when it really comes to us being genuine followers of him, that's the call to obedience. That's the call, like as Logan laid down a couple weeks ago, that that word for being in line with the Holy Spirit is like in step, that he's leading us into the new territory and we're putting one foot in uh, each of his footsteps, following him into that deeper place. And it kind of left us um, with this prayer of St. Benedict, and I hope some of you were able to pray that during this week. And I said, you know, a lot of times when we talk about spiritual discipline, there's always this burden immediately, like, okay, I've got to figure out, I've got to schedule in all this time for study and prayer and all of these things. And and we can get so worked up and, and jump right back into that performance mentality. But what if we slow down and we just take a whole week and invite God to prepare our hearts uh, to receive his inspiration? for what discipline might look like for each one of us. And so I hope that each of you were able to step into that prayer that St. Benedict has blessed us with 1,600 years later and allow that prayer to open up your heart, to open up your mind, to see what God might have to say with spiritual discipline before you dive right in. And so kind of my main thesis for us this morning, kind of building on last week is this. We have been equipped by the Holy Spirit to become our true selves through disciplines of abstinence and engagement. First of all, what do I mean by our true selves? I think that's a relatively popular phrase in a lot of different arenas today. Uh, Thomas Merton talked about your true self. He was this this monk in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Some of you might remember uh, that he was a real game changer, especially kind of during the Vietnam War era. Amazing man of God, amazing practitioner of peace. He traveled around the world um, speaking to all these different people, looking at interfaith dialogue, and uh, wrote a lot about discipline, and he wrote a lot about the true self. And for us as Christians, the true self is, uh, is us being created in the image of God. It's this image that's buried in our DNA somewhere, and it requires this lifetime of God conspiring with us to scrape all the guff off the surface to reveal what's always been there in some way. That you and I, we were created in the image of God, and that image is good, but it's been covered over by all of these lies that we've received our whole lives these different stories that have been imported into the story that God has granted us with. And so the process of becoming our true selves is first and foremost submitting ourselves to God and saying, God, who do you say that I am? It's not up for me to determine who I am and who I think that I am, but it's actually me submitting myself to you, allowing you to dictate who I am, and then me learning how to make that inner reality reflect outward from uh, the way that I've been created. And so I want to look at this kind of 
these spiritual disciplines in two different arenas, the disciplines of abstinence and engagement. Um, But it's really key to understand there are as many spiritual disciplines as there are, you know, pebbles on the beach. And there's so many ways that you can cut up and divide the spiritual disciplines. Um, And there's different writers have done it different ways. So I'm just giving you one way to look at this. And I'm hoping that these disciplines that we're going through today um, are just... um, just kind of getting you in the right mindset to really start thinking into how how God might have crafted you. But at first, I wanna talk specifically about how discipline and our personalities coincide. I think that's really key before we start making blanket statements about everything everybody should be doing. And knowing ourselves determines what a rich life of spiritual practice will look like. I believe that spiritual discipline is not one size fits all. I don't think that we're all called just to all do the same things at the same time. I do believe that there are some spiritual disciplines that are big enough that we're all welcomed into them. But even the way in which we choose to participate in the spiritual disciplines, if we have an ear towards the Holy Spirit, will look slightly differently because God's doing something different in each one of us. And this is what I, what I love so much about the, the language that we have in the modern era for discovering our personalities. You know, we, in our church, we've done um, work with Myers-Briggs. We've done work with Enneagram. Uh, we've done work with uh, the Harry Potter schools. Just kidding, we haven't done that one yet. It would probably do the same thing. But learning to recognize who who am I as this very specific piece of the image of God. I think about it, you know, I I grew up in these churches that had these uh, incredible stained glass windows, right? And if you've ever seen a good stained glass window, it's all these different pieces of glass, different colors, different shapes. But when they come together, they create this fuller image of God. And that's what the church is like. We're like a stained glass window. We're all glass. And when we all come together, we, we present this unified image of God. But each one of us is a slightly different color, a different shape, has a different approach to it. And so for us to be able to gain language for who we are, enables us then to come before the Lord and say, how can I be ever more Christ-like? How can I reflect your image with greater clarity? St. Augustine uh, in the fifth century said, grant, Lord, that I might know myself, that I might know thee. And it's in, there's a power to us being able to turn inwards to use our personality, ourselves, as this way to get to know God more that we can even tap into how we are the image of God and see how that plays into the bigger story. And the trajectory that God gives us in learning how to know ourselves isn't just about us becoming more self-aware. That's not the end of the conversation. We become self-aware so that we can develop intimacy. I love that the, the, some of the practitioners of the Enneagram say, it's learning how to understand yourself so you can get out of your own way and love other people better or love God better. I think that's really the key. It doesn't stop with us just knowing ourselves. It's about us owning who we are in all of our good and all of our deficiencies, and then doing the work with God so that we might love him better and we might love other people better. And so we see this um, at the end of the letter to the Galatians. And I actually want to read, this is the message translation of a couple of verses that I really love how Eugene Peterson has phrased this because I think it really speaks into this idea that we should know ourselves so that we can know God better. And And it goes like this. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you've been given. Okay, so there's your identity bit and your purpose bit. 
Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you've been given, and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. Isn't that a wonderful translation of those lines in Galatians? You know, many of us, we've been told you you shouldn't focus on yourself, that's being selfish. And you have to die to self, which means you have to erase your personality. But that's not actually, I believe, what scripture's saying. It's saying examine yourself, own who you are. Allow the spirit of God to reveal who you really are in your personality and then recognize what you've got to work with. And it's not what's next to you. I think it's the writer Oscar Wilde said, be yourself because everybody else is already taken. And when we understand ourselves, when we learn to love ourselves in that God-like way, it actually frees us up to be able to love other people. So the line just before this uh, verses four and five in Galatians six uh, says this, carry each other's burdens And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. What happens when we don't take responsibility for our own personalities and then we try to help other people? How many of you done that this week? (laughs) You know, I think this is what Jesus is saying when he says, don't worry about the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a plank sticking out of your own eye, when you're not self-aware. And so us understanding who we are, becoming more self-aware, enables us to do the work in our own lives so that we can love other people, so we can carry one another's burdens. And in doing so, we fulfill the law of Christ. Um, There's this really beautiful language in, uh, in the world of spiritual disciplines about upstream and downstream spiritual practices. And this is so key when we understand our personalities. And it's, it's a very simple idea. A downstream spiritual practice, imagine that you just stand in a river and you just kind of go with the flow. So these are spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines that come very naturally to who you already are, how you've been created. And just with a little bit of a tweaking or a, a rearranging, you're able to step into that discipline. And maybe some of you are thinking right now, you're already recognizing there's some things that you do that just come very easily to you, different spiritual practices, disciplines, whatever it might be. And this is kind of what I would say is growth through harmony. If we recognize that you know, God is this reality that's like this, this flowing river, and we're just kind of stepping into the river, and then we go with the flow because there's a part of us that just naturally resonates with where the water's going. And that's a growth through harmony. That's a downstream spiritual discipline. Now, an upstream spiritual discipline, then, of course, is when you turn around in the river, and you're being invited to, to walk upstream. And it's not natural. It's difficult. It doesn't feel right to you at first. And this is growth through friction. This is growth through challenge. You know, and a lot of us are very comfortable when we understand who we are in those downstream spiritual practices. But we, we sometimes, to our own detriment, cut out those upstream spiritual practices and say, well, that's, that's not the way that I've been created. That's difficult for me. Or like I said last week, we might go, well, I'm just not passionate about that. And therefore, I'm not going to do it. But unfortunately, when we step into that attitude, when it comes to the disciplines that are hard for us, we actually cut out 50% of, I think, what God wants to do in our lives because it's hard, because it's unnatural. But I think they're called disciplines for a reason, because they're hard. And so as we're going through these, I want you to be thinking about those two images, uh, thinking about your own personality and going, okay, what are spiritual disciplines for me that are very natural? They're downstream spiritual practices. 
And what are things that might be very difficult for me? They're unnatural. They kind of go against the grain of how I've been created. So I actually want us to take a moment. If you look underneath your, uh, your chairs, um, we've given you a little cheat sheet for today. And on one side is just a summation of the spiritual disciplines. But if you flip the paper to the other side, there are uh, these questions at the top. And so what we want to do is just take two minutes, and I want you uh, just to take uh, an inventory. What do I know about my personality? Maybe it's language from uh, a personality test. Maybe it's just things that you've recognized in yourself. And just to kind of jot down a few things that you know about yourself already. And then I want you to ask yourself uh, and ask the Lord, what are spiritual practices uh, that are really natural for me? They, they come quite easily. And what are some spiritual practices that are rather difficult? So we're going to take two minutes uh, and just take this uh, spiritual discipline inventory. Give you about one more minute. Doesn't have to be comprehensive, just to get just to get you in the mindset. So as we're, as we're continuing on, and we're gonna be looking at those disciplines of abstinence and then those disciplines of engagement, uh, feel free just to flip that paper over and jot these things down as you're coming. And like I said, the list that we're about to go through um, is comprehensive by no means. Um, I've discovered so many other things that can be spiritual disciplines that have really helped me to understand things perhaps that I've always been doing and I didn't even realize that it fit into a list. Um, but we're going to be talking about just a few, uh, like I said, to get, um, just to get the conversation going in our community. So let's begin with disciplines of abstinence. 
This is the one we're already, already freaking out. Some of us are pulling out our promise rings that we had in, uh, in high school. Not that kind of abstinence, although that is also a discipline. Lord knows that is a discipline. What is a discipline of abstinence? When we're talking about abstinence, we're talking about self-denial. We're talking about removing something from our, a physical thing from our space, uh, a, a normal rhythm. We're taking something away. Um, and I think it's really important to recognize here, um, as Christians, spiritual disciplines and practices are always forward movements toward God. And sometimes we think when we're taking something away, we're taking a backward step. And I think there are other philosophies and religions in the world where it's about opening up and emptying, and that's kind of the end cause. But for us as Christians, we're always looking to empty a space, a moment, uh, whatever it might be, so that it can be filled. Um, Because we recognize that God is everywhere in all times. And that he's always speaking, yet he's always silent. We live in these creative tensions as Christians. So even when we're talking about abstinence or self-denial, we're talking about creating space so that it can be filled by something else. And so I'm going to talk about just a few of these. Uh, And again, feel free to jot down if you want to take notes. Um, Number one is solitude. Solitude is refraining from community in order to be found by God alone. Solitude is about refraining from community. And all of you in here that are extroverts are on edge. You're like, what? What do I do there? Uh, Thomas Merton said, solitude is a way to defend the spirit against the murderous din of our materialism. That's good. Murderous din is a great phrase. (laughs) And Merton talks a lot about the difference between solitude and loneliness. And I think this is why a lot of us are afraid of solitude, because we think it's about loneliness. But loneliness would be kind of that, that, that negative mirror image of solitude where we find ourselves without anyone else. But solitude is really about us removing ourselves from community so that we can be found by God. That sometimes there's so much noise in our daily lives, in our workplace, in our family environment, in our home environment, wherever it might be. There's so much noise that that builds up with other people that before long we, we cannot hear the voice of God and we cannot perceive his presence with us. And so solitude is really about being able to step away from all of that to get into a quiet space so we can be found by God alone. And the beauty of the discipline of solitude is that it transforms community from an unhealthy necessity into a gift. We're addicted to community. Not you introverts, but most of us are addicted to community. We feel like there's this unhealthy need for other people. And if we're alone, we don't know who we are. And we're always bouncing our personalities off of these other people to see what comes back. And before long, we give the right to define us that is the right of God, we hand it over to other people. And we, it's this, we start sucking the life out of our community because they've become this unhealthy obsession. So when we participate in the spiritual practice of solitude, we're removing ourselves from that. We're reminding ourselves that we're defined by God and by God alone. And then when we step back into community, we recognize the community that God has given us is this beautiful gift that we're not sucking the life out of people, but we're in this life-giving circuit of loving other people even as we are loved. And so if you really want to know good community, you need to practice solitude. And if you really want to practice good solitude, you need to know good community. And so being able to examine the balance between those two things is such a beautiful practice. 
The second discipline of abstinence is very similar. Silence is not speaking or filling in the space so we can listen to God and others better. Remember teaching about the spiritual uh, disciplines uh, when I was running the ministry school in Nashville and I asked the students, how often do you practice silence? And and one said, oh yeah, I practice silence all the time. You know, I'll go home and I'll I'll put on uh, this instrumental worship record and I'll just, and I was like, oh, pause. When do you actually practice silence? You see, we're very uncomfortable with silence. Silence is like, a, like an audio solitude. If we have all this noise from, from people and events in our lives, then silence is that we have all this noise. As, as Tom York says in one of the Radiohead songs, there's this refrigerator buzz. There's this constant buzz in our world. There's always this background noises that just kind of fill up our headspace. And so practicing true silence is learning how to quiet ourselves. First of all, our exterior world, and I think then the harder discipline, which is to quiet our interior world so that we can start to listen to God better. And so the goal is true silence. I think that's something you have to really work yourself into. And these are the disciplines of meditation and contemplation where we're learning to just to be quiet before God. I love that the Mother Teresa was interviewed at one point in her life, and, and the, the, I think it was from Time Magazine, and the reporter was asking her, um, you know, what does your prayer life look like? And she says, well, mostly I just sit quietly with God. And the reporter said, well, what does he say? She said, well, mostly he just sits quietly with me. And I love that, you know, that the, it counteracts this need that we have to be saying something in order to build relationship. And it also counteracts the idea that God needs to be saying something all the time. But just to be able to sit in silence with God is such a beautiful discipline. The next one is this, fasting. Fasting is going without food or something material so we might participate in intensive prayer. There were these regular rhythms in the Jewish traditions when you kind of explore, uh, especially the Old Testament era, but if you ever look at any other um, extra-biblical writings talking about the first century on in Jewish discipline that kind of translated into the early Christian tradition. And so often, they participated in fasting, and fasting was about removing uh, food, water, other things from your life, so that that space that you would be that you would spend time eating or just going about your daily rhythms can really be devoted to intensive prayer, learning to practice the presence of God. And a lot of times in scripture, especially, we find that fasting was used in anticipation of some sort of big decision. Have you ever felt stuck? You don't know which path to take? And maybe you feel a little bit clouded and you, you, if you're like me and you've got an overanalytical brain, you start making lists of pros and cons and they end up being about even and you don't really know what to do. A lot of times this is the moment that our Christian forefathers and foremothers would pause and they would fast and say, let's take a day together and let's, let's remove food from our lives and just spend an intensive prayer and come to say, Lord, I've got these two options. I don't know which to do. And then God speaks in that removal of a normal basic instinct that we have. And I think that's the beauty of fasting. And some people use fasting as a daily rhythm. You know, every Friday they might fast. Uh, And some people, it's when they're making those big decisions. I think both are really beautiful um, opportunities. The next one is Sabbath. Sabbath is setting aside one day out of the week for divine rest and play. 
This is so important in our modern culture. We need to reclaim the spiritual discipline of Sabbath. It's important to recognize that Sabbath is not taking a break from the Lord. It's taking a break from work. And I've made this mistake in my own life too, where you you generally take off Saturdays and Mondays. And I have slightly different ways I approach those two days. But sometimes I'll just say, well, I'm just gonna take a break from Christianity in general and just like kind of do my thing. (laughs) I don't recommend that. Uh, But Sabbath is really about learning how to move from working in the name of God to resting in the name of God and play. If you ever want to really have your mind blown, look at Dan Allender's work when it comes to work, rest, and play. And being able to take a spiritual inventory of our own lives and say, how do I approach work? How do I approach rest? And how do I approach play? And all all of those things um, kind of anointed by the divine to work for my good. I think a lot of times we get stuck in these rhythms of rest and play that actually drain us even more. Have you ever had those days? Or maybe you do take a day off or you you go away for something, but then by the end of it, you feel more stressed out than you were when you began. And I think it's another opportunity for us to practice what does it look like to rest in the Lord? What does it look like for us to play in the Lord, to celebrate, to enjoy life. And I think then what that really does is it blesses work, that we are called to work. We're called to work. But Sabbath reminds us that we're not defined by our work. Our work is a joy. Our work is a privilege. It's an honor. And so in the same way that solitude blesses community, Sabbath blesses work, and it gives us the inspiration uh, to continue down the path. And the final discipline of abstinence is this, secrecy. I love this one. Secrecy is keeping personal revelation or good deeds between us and God. If you feed a homeless person in the woods and no one's around to see it, did it actually happen? That's the other way to say this. Uh, I don't know how many of you remember the movie Stand By Me. Anybody? Corey, which, that's Feldman, was in that one. Uh, there's a bunch of guys that got started. It's a fantastic film. It's about um, these 10-year-old boys that kind of go on this adventure um, looking for uh, a dead body, which is, you know, what 10, 10-year-old boys do. Um, but there's a, it's, it's, it's a first-person narrative that um, one of the boys, when he's an adult, he's kind of writing about this story. And there's this moment where he, they're, they're out in the woods, and they've been camping, and he wakes up early, and he goes out, and he sits on the railroad tracks, and this deer just kind of walks out into the clearing and stares at him. And there's just this very special moment with this deer. Uh, and then the deer moves on, and then all the other boys wake up, and he goes back, and his initial impulse is to tell them and share what just happened. But he says, I actually decided to to keep that moment just to myself. And it became something sacred and special. And I love that because I think a lot of times when God gives us revelation, we feel like we have to share it in order to make it real. We have to offer it to somebody else. We're gonna gonna talk about uh, this in a couple weeks about hearing God's voice, but I actually believe 90% of what God reveals to us is for intercession and not for sharing. We feel like we have to say something in order to make it real, in order to make it happen. But for us to have these beautiful secrets between the Lord, that something just exists between us and him. Jean Vanier talks about how an intimate part of our identity is just this secret between us and God that we're able to share with him. I think that actually blesses it. 
And again, it corrects this natural tendency that we have, this obsession that unless we are offering things to other people, unless our good deeds are being seen by those around us, they don't really count for anything. And it realigns us back to really trusting God sees us and he hears us and he blesses us. And so those are the disciplines of abstinence I wanted to talk about. We're actually going to practice uh, a little bit of solitude and silence. They're not going to be true solitude. We're in a room together, and it's not true silence. But I want us just to take a moment of meditation, just being quiet before the Lord, not feeling the need to fill in the space, to say anything to him, to even need to hear a specific thing from him, but just to sit quietly with him. And so we're gonna take five minutes to do this. Uh, And we've put some pillows in the back, so if you're really brave and you really wanna step into this moment, feel free to go back there and you can sit or lie down on a pillow. Of course, if you have bad knees like me or whatever, you can just go ahead and sit in your seats. Uh, But what we're gonna do is I'm gonna pray. We'll lower the lights a little bit and we're just gonna take five minutes, just to be quiet before the Lord. Um, Just like David writes in the Psalm, be still and know that I am God, okay? So uh, if you wanna move, go ahead and and move now. And let's, let's bring down the lights. We're just gonna take five minutes or so, and then when we come back, I want you to write some of the reflections of the experience on that paper I gave you. So if you just wanna close your eyes, just get in a relaxed position, don't tense up your shoulders, Um, don't cut the circulation off in your fingers, but just get in a relaxed position uh, of of, uh, receptivity. I'm gonna pray and then we'll reflect and meditate. Lord, again, we testify Uh, to the truth that you're here and that you're with us. And and though there's so many things in our lives, uh, so much noise, whether it's noise of the environment or it's sound or within our own hearts that that prevents us uh, from really uh, being with you, of being still and knowing that you're God. And so Father, in uh, in these just five minutes, would you teach us how to be quiet? Lord, I bless Um, all of the thoughts that we're going to have in this moment that we feel like we have to fight off. Lord, I bless those things. Father, I pray that you would just make them part of the process and they become these continual gifts, all of our worries, anxieties, guilt, regret, whatever, that we're able just to hand those things off to you as they come. And so, Father, we welcome you uh, into this moment in the name of Jesus.
Father, we thank you that the disciplines aren't about us making the grade, about getting it right, uh, but they're constant invitations from you to step deeper into your reality and in doing so be transformed. We thank you in the name of Jesus, amen. So I invite you guys to come back uh, if you're back in the pillows. Uh, if you were really able to connect with God in that, awesome, A plus. If that was really an excruciating, you're in good company. It's not easy. It's not easy to practice silence, to practice quiet, but it's so imperative that we create that space uh, in our lives. Um, so I would encourage you, if you wanna just write down a, you know, a few brief notes there at the bottom of that page uh, as a reflection uh, of what that meditation, what, what does that feel like? Be honest with yourself. It, it doesn't have to be uh, easy. It doesn't have to come natural. But I think when we're able to be honest with how we respond to spiritual discipline, it really helps us to, to shift gears. One of the things that uh, I found particularly helpful when it comes to meditation and silence is what uh, Father Thomas Keating uh, calls an anchoring word. He talks about, he's written several books about centering prayer. Um, and one of the things that, that's really helped me um, my, one of my favorite little stories about Samuel when he's a, when he's a young guy and he's kind of apprenticing uh, in the temple and God calls him and uh, he just has to learn how to say, here I am. And that's, I think that's like the best prayer in the world, just to be before God and say, here I am. And so for me, that's become a kind of centering little phrase where I'm just making myself present to God and it really helps to uh, counteract some of the, you know, the monkey brain that's running around in there. Um, so those are the disciplines of abstinence. These are the disciplines of engagement, okay? So if abstinence is about removing things from a space, from our own hearts, from our minds, whatever it might be, then disciplines of engagement are about adding things in. It's about adding things in. And if you recognize most of the spiritual disciplines of abstinence um, do contain something that's very personal. It's between us and the Lord. And a lot of times the disciplines of engagement are personal things that we're doing between us and God, um, but they can also add on that communal element. And if any of you are uh, familiar with the fantastic book, S S Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster, he actually groups them in terms of our inner life, our outer life, and our communal life. And that's another great way to think about spiritual discipline. Um, so we're gonna be looking at just a few of these. The first one, one of my favorites, study is focusing our minds on the word of God. A couple of these are actually really hard to define. And I had to sit there and resist just like going to a book and finding out what they say or going to the, but just saying, okay, Lord, what, in, in who I am, how would I define these? So study is focusing our minds on the word of God. I think study very much is a discipline of the mind. And it's important to recognize, and hopefully you're seeing this pattern in the disciplines, that it's about us being transformed holistically. God doesn't just want our hearts. He wants our minds. He wants our bodies. He wants our spirits. And so the disciplines are kind of this holistic approach to offering everything we are up to God so we might be transformed. We find this in Romans 12 too, one of my favorite verses. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And I think when God transforms our minds, our hearts follow. When God transforms our minds, our hearts follow. And it becomes, 
it's, study is so important because it's really about us understanding, number one, the character of God, what he's really like, and then number two, what is God's will? It's very hard for us sometimes to ascertain what God's will is when we're uh, carried along by the passion in our hearts. But when we're able to balance that out with the discipline of our mind, we get a bigger picture of what God is actually like and not what we would like him to be or not just what we are afraid he might be like. And so discipline of study is so imperative for that. And I think scripture is ground zero for the discipline of study. And there's two kinds of ways of doing that. Uh, we, can, we can read scripture using concordances and Bible dictionaries and maps. And I love, love, love that. Everybody in here should know ancient Greek and Aramaic. That'd be awesome. Uh, but there's this other kind of study. It's called revealed, revealed study, where it's us coming to the scripture, open head and saying, Lord, show me what you want to, me to see here. And that's study. Uh, and they're both equally valuable. And so I think scripture is ground zero, but it doesn't have to just stop with scripture. Um, that we, like I've said many times before, we have 2,000 years of saints that have gone before us, and they've written of their reflections of how they've encountered God, how they've been transformed by him, and we get to tap into that. There's never been a generation of Christians that have more information available to them than we do. And that's amazing, I've always wanted to put this banner over top of our library that says there's, uh, there's so much goodness here and some of it might actually be true. <laughs> I think that's funny anyway. Um, but I, I love that we don't have to create Christianity in a vacuum. I think actually, this may be a little controversial, I think one of the, the poisons of the Reformation and being Protestants is this lie that says, well, I just have to open up the Bible and I read it and then I decide what I think it says. I think this is why we're in so much trouble as a church, the capital C church today, because we've believed that. It's, it's about me just interpreting this ancient scripture that's been translated from a translation from a translation from a translation by myself and I get to decide what I think it means. But we actually get to tap into this great tradition, these people that have come before us who've done the work Brilliant men and women who, who have practiced this and, and labored and devoted their entire lives to it, we get to receive from them and continue to build upon it. And so I highly encourage you recognizing uh, that, that study is an incredibly valuable discipline for your mind, not just with scripture, but also with the legacy of the saints. Uh, the next one is worship. Worship is our human response to the love of God. I like to think of study and worship kind of coinciding. If study is about us being transformed in our mind, then worship is often about us being transformed in our hearts. And it's this human response to the love of God that in worship we recognize who God is and we recognize what he's done, what he is doing and what he will do. And we, it's more than just musical worship, although that is an incredibly important part of the ecosystem of the Christian world. There are some fascinating writers out there that have talked about what music does to our spirits and how it kind of shifts around who we are um, and it actually becomes part of the process of redemption. But it's more than just musical worship. Worship can be through word, it can be through symbol, it can be through ritual, and it can even be in the service of God and the service of other people. Um, in a moment, we're gonna be participating in communion, this, this ritual, this sacred act of worship where we are creating a human response to something that God has done in our lives or is doing. I love um, in, the, in the movie uh, Finding Neverland. Has anybody seen that film? 
So do you remember when they're out in the countryside and the little boys write this play and they're gonna put it on for their mother? This is what I think church is actually like. That, that as the family of God, as the children of God, we've written a play and we've, we've created uh, you know, these props and these costumes and we're putting on a play for our father who's delighted in our actions. And so we write songs and we write prayers and poems. We create these symbols and we get to step into those. And I think it delights the father to see us do that. And I think worship is one of the disciplines where there is a tremendous freedom in style. Sometimes we get so caught up in style of worship. And I think this is a really great place to examine what are downstream styles of worship that are really easy for me to step into and what are upstream styles of spiritual worship that are really hard for me. Uh, last week I was, I was in the back and I had my hands uh, raised in worship and a friend walked by and later on she said to me, I had this real temptation to high five you when you were in worship, but I didn't want to disturb you. And I said, don't worry, because that's a discipline for me. Worship does not come naturally to me, like musical worship, raising our hands, uh, participating, singing. That's not something that, you know, some of you, I know we've talked about it, very naturally can step into that stream. And that's not natural for me, but it becomes this discipline. Um, So when I'm raising my hands, that's a discipline. See, and this is what we automatically think. If it's not spontaneous, then it's not valuable. Or I should think it's a lie. It's a discipline. I am choosing into this consciously because I recognize where my heart is, because I recognize what God has done for me. And I think that that is really valuable for each one of us to go, what are the kinds of worship for me that are supernatural, supernatural, very natural and supernatural, all of it's supernatural, that are very natural and to celebrate those things and, and, and enjoy them. And what are kinds of worship that maybe are very difficult for me, but I'm gonna take it on as a discipline instead of a passion. The next one is prayer. Again, very hard to define. Prayer is very hard to define. But prayer is our ongoing acknowledgement of and conversation with God. I think those two pieces are very important. Even what we're seeing in silence is we're establishing this foundation of quiet before God. And in that foundation, then we start to speak into it. And it's less this exchange in prayer than it is about starting with that foundation. You know, when Jesus talks about prayer, especially in the Gospel of John, the word literally defined is more like abiding. So when Jesus is talking about prayer, he's saying choosing to be with God. And that's the foundation, I think, for Jesus that he started to build his uh, discursive prayer using words. And I think there's this amazingly beautiful tension in Scripture where Paul tells us to pray without ceasing, and then Jesus tells us to let your words be few. Well, how do we do that? You know, even Daniel and I were talking about that earlier this week. How have we maneuvered that very interesting tension? And I think praying without ceasing is practicing the presence of God, being a constant acknowledgement of him. And sometimes we use words to do that. But I think it dramatically shifts our prayer lives when we start with choosing to be with God. Because our prayers are less prayers of desperation and more out of that quiet acknowledgement that he's with us. And so our prayer lives can be, have meditation involved where it's a, it's a, a you know, a, that's an inward prayer, a silent prayer of the mind. Contemplation, which is that silent prayer of the heart, choosing to be with God. Our prayers can be prayers of adoration where we're just in, enjoying who he is, telling him who he is. If it, he, he doesn't know, but you know, like we know and we just want him to know it. Uh, and then prayers of uh, supplication where we're making our requests to God. 
But again, not at a place of feeling disconnected, but because we're so intimately connected to him and we know his will. There can also be some spontaneous prayer uh, and prescribed paths of prayer. Both of those are really valuable, that we pray out of whatever is on our heart in the moment. And I think that's great. I think it's, you see that in worship too, right? That we, can, we create these spaces for spontaneous worship of whatever's going on in our lives in that moment. But there could be a problem if our, life, our prayer lives are only spontaneous because it pretty, becomes pretty egotistical before long. And we're only praying what's on our heart. And so to participate in prescribed paths of prayer, even like this prayer of St. Benedict that I gave you last week, takes us out of ourselves into the bigger picture of what God is doing. And this is a lot of times the value of what I have found in liturgical prayer. Uh, It's the value that I found in creating my own path for praying the rosary. It's really uh, what I found, there's an amazing uh, prayer labyrinth up at the Catholic Retreat Center in Oviedo. But there's all of these different ways that the saints have given us of prescribed paths of prayer that take us to places that maybe we wouldn't arrive on our own. And I think having that balance of spontaneous and prescribed prayer is really beautiful. Uh, The next one is fellowship. Fellowship is a deep community focused on accountability and growth. There's a difference between community and fellowship. We're, I think we're really good at community in our church, but I think we need to get better at fellowship. And this is one of the things that was our vision for these discipleship groups that we've been doing this summer, that we would craft relationships in our community that are less about being familiar with one another and more have that succinct goal of we wanna grow together in the Lord. And so we made this conscious decision to to group those of you who signed up with people that you don't know so you can start a relationship with the heart of fellowship. How many of you, it's really hard when you've been in a friendship or a relationship for a long time and then you try to integrate spiritual things into it? It can be very difficult. It can be awkward. Maybe it's like talking with your family or your loved ones and trying to talk about what the Lord does. Sometimes it feels alien, Um, And it's still a worthy pursuit, but when we build relationships that start there, um, I think that's where a lot of transformation happens. Um, At the beginning of the year, one of the things I felt like the Lord said to me was, uh, in this season, I'm strengthening the core of this church. And I didn't really know what that was going to look like. And and it's been amazing to see so many of the ways that the Lord has woven that into the fabric of who we are. Um, But one of the the amazing things that I've seen out of that is uh, that Greg and Annie Singleton, two of our elders, have started these rhythms of gathering our married couples and our engaged couples. Uh, And sometimes they're gathering just to enjoy each other's company. And sometimes they're gathering specifically to just share and really kind of go into that deep communal fellowship place where it's iron sharpening iron and people are being challenged and comforted so that we might be the best representation as married and engaged people uh, that Christ is calling us to. And so if you haven't participated in any of those, I just, I wanna make a special invitation. Uh, This Friday, 6.30 here at the church uh, is the next one for married engaged couples to come together and to share a meal. And you're just invited, bring a salad. They're gonna provide uh, the main dish and there's also childcare provided. And I think this is one of the incredible ways that God is strengthening the core of our community. So we have the sure foundation of relationship that we can begin to reach out from. Uh, The next uh, discipline is service. Service is embodying the compassion of God, especially for those in need. 
about embodying the compassion of God, putting hands and feet on the things that we say that we believe and the things that we know that God is calling us to be. I would also add in to service, part of it is the the bigger picture perhaps of generosity as a discipline, being generous with our time, our resources, our finances, our spiritual gifts. All of those things are these acts of service where we're putting into action the things that we know that God is calling us to. And I think the discipline of service is one of these very key uh, disciplines that helps us to move beyond this impression. When I feel like it, or when I'm passionate, uh, to going, I know that this is what I'm called to do. I love that there is so much command from Jesus about what we're supposed to do that God could never ever speak ever again and we'd have more than enough to do. We'd have more than enough to do. And it's amazing that he does speak today and he refines each of us in our callings of the ways we're called to serve and who we're called to serve. But there's, there's no lack of activity for us. And we can start with widows and orphans and foreigners. Um, and I think above all the other disciplines, the act of service really takes us out of our own egos. That many of these disciplines can be just specifically about us and the Lord, but service really becomes about us and other people. And it takes us out of ourselves. Um, and I think a lot of times God surprises us by what we discover when we step out to serve those in need. How many of you have had that revelation when you've gone uh, to, to feed the homeless or maybe you worked for Habitats for Humanity or you've done some sort of relief work or maybe you've participated in the mentoring program with the human experience and these things change us because we chose to say yes whether or not we were passionate about them. Uh, two more, two more. Celebration is enjoying life as the goodness of God on display. Now, this is a hard one to to define, uh, but I'm pretty happy with what I came up with. (laughs) Celebration is enjoying life as the goodness of God on display. This one is really important. And this is, talk about upstream and downstream. Some of you, you hear celebration, you're like, boom, I'm in, I love it, I'm there. And some of you are so hard on yourselves when it comes to discipline and getting it right that this is really hard because celebration isn't this task that you can get to the end of celebration and you can check it off and be like, nailed it, I got it right, or oh my gosh, I got it wrong. Like Celebration is this natural response out of a lifestyle of worship. And it's all about us practicing joy. And it's, a, it's, an, it's, a, it's an end unto itself. And so I think it partners even with what I was saying about Sabbath, like divine play, choosing to celebrate the goodness of God, putting the goodness of God on display. We see this all throughout scripture. I love in in Ecclesiastes when he says, you know, so mankind was made to eat and drink and enjoy life. And if that miserable guy could decide that celebration is something worth it, maybe we should too. One of my favorite stories is the story of Ezra and Nehemiah that kind of bump up to each other in the end of the Old Testament. Um, and so what happens is, you know, Israel has been decimated. Um, they've been in, most of them have been in captivity for years. And the king of Babylon allows a contingency to come back to rebuild the city. And so it's Nehemiah's job uh, to rebuild the city, to organize the people and let's build the wall and let's create this space. And it was Ezra's job to construct the temple and to call people to, back to repentance, back to God, because they had been without any, any priests or spiritual leadership for centuries, or not centuries, that's a little extreme, decades. Um, 
And so what happens is that Ezra and the Levites, they stand up and he begins to read the Torah and everybody starts losing their minds because they've missed the plot. And they are just weeping and they're saying it's terrible. And it's amazing because Ezra and the other priests, they go, well, let's just slow down. Everyone take a breath. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to throw a party. We're going to celebrate. I want you to go out and I want you to buy some delicious food and drink for your family. And if you've got extra, I want you to go and to give it to those who don't. And we're going to party for eight days. And then we're going to come back here to do repentance. And it says this in Nehemiah 8, 17. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. That's one of the ways that Jews party. I don't know. (laughs) A tent party. A tent party. Maybe we'll have a tent party someday. And I love this line. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this. And their joy was very great. And so they practiced celebration as a discipline that put them in the right space then to do confession. And it actually led to one of the major revivals in Israel's history, that Ezra led them back into relationship with God. They began to do business with all of the places in their life that they had gone astray. But it started with celebration, and that put them in the right place to understand God's character so then they could do the work. And this brings us to our final uh, discipline, confession. Confession is offering our weakness to God and to others. I think this is very... Uh, hard one for many of us because we have this uh, perennial shame uh, of being found out that we're not perfect as if everybody else doesn't know that. And so we, we actually, when we feel shame, we remove ourselves and we continue to try to um, reveal this place of power and capability that we're strong and we're good and, and we've got it all together. Uh, and it's, this, it's motivated by this embarrassment that we're going to be found out. And I think this is the beautiful thing of confession as a discipline is that confession, as God has set it up, actually leads us not away from shame and guilt, but through them to the other side. Because it's only on the other side when you and I touch our shame and our guilt and we trust God to lead us through it that we begin to understand grace. We begin to understand repentance. We begin to understand accountability. And God leads us through those things Um, so that we might be healed, that we might be redeemed. And so many of us are so busy trying to maintain this facade of strength and power that we actually prevent ourselves from touching our own weakness, of being able to offer that to someone else and then to experience grace. And so those are uh, the disciplines of engagement. I want you to stand up and we're just gonna practice a few of those as we're continuing on in worship. I know we're running a little bit long here. Um, I'm going to pray, and we're going to step into an ecosystem of discipline that we have several things established. First of all, we're going to worship. We're going to sing over one another, sing over our own lives, the truth of who God is and what he's done in a way that might uh, resonate with our hearts. We're also going to come forward and participate in communion, this symbol of that celebrates what God has done for us. And finally, we're gonna celebrate in service through giving with this box up here that we come not from a place of shame when we give, not even from a place of mechanical obligation, but we give as this discipline because we recognize that all things we have are from Him. 
and that we're just giving back to him so that we can continue to further the kingdom in that way. So I'm gonna pray and there's gonna be freedom through these next couple songs for you to participate um, as, as you have you know, conspired with the Lord for that. Through musical worship, through um, communion and through giving. And of course the backspace is available for you uh, in worship as well. So if you just wanna bow your heads and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit to take upon ourselves spiritual disciplines that are sensitive to the way that you have crafted us. Lord, I pray that you would give us an increased understanding of who we are, an increased self-awareness, that we might really come before you and say, Lord, what are the disciplines that you would invite me into? Disciplines of harmony and disciplines of friction, that would help me to grow. And Lord, as we step into these different forms of worship, we give you permission to do something in us. That's why we're here. That's why we're doing it. Lord, we ask you to, to bless these elements that they would become for us the body and blood of Jesus, that we would be transformed by participating in the holy sacraments because they remind us of what you've done and what you continue to do. Lord, we ask you to bless our giving that as we give as an act of service, as an act and discipline of generosity, um, that you would be doing something within us as well in the way in which we hold material things. Um, Lord, we want everything that we do to be an act of worship, whether discipline or passion or both. So Father, just move in us and through us in this moment in the strong name of your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, amen. Let's worship. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.